California and one of the largest in the United States of America. My wife Tina worked for Pastor Rick Warren, who founded the church quite some time ago. She was working with the Daniel Plan, which is a health program. So we have great love for Saddleback Church. It's been a blessing to be able to attend several times and listen to their worship music. And that's why I'm thrilled because I love Christian music. I think you guys know that. There's there's this massive movement going on right now. There are so many people from so many different backgrounds, so many different beliefs, and yet there seems to be this great awakening happening under the umbrella of Jesus with music being written that brings everybody from those backgrounds together. So that's why I'm thrilled to be able to talk with Josh Miller, who is the Saddleback Church Worship Development Pastor. So let's let's bring Josh in and uh, have this amazing conversation about where his vision is and what he hopes Saddleback can accomplish and how that ties into the rest of the Christian industry. Good morning to you. Good morning, Paul. Good to see you. You know, this is going to be great, and I'm glad. I think this was meant to happen, Um, and i tell you why. Yesterday, I interviewed uh, one of my pastors, T.J. Timms. Awesome. He... uh, he is the second senior pastor of Emmanuel Nashville, which was founded by Ray Ortland. Okay. And Ray is a, a pretty well-known uh, speaker and um, author. And we were talking about, you know, the first great awakening, the second great awakening. And I suggested, uh, what if, what if, what if music mm. is that third great awakening? Because we go to, you know, as a member of the Gospel Music Association, I go to these events, and from the podium, you have people from all different backgrounds, and in the audience, people from all different backgrounds. We all have our different doctrinal beliefs, yeah, and yet we're all there united under the umbrella of Jesus with this outpouring of love that comes from the music, and yeah. the music is diverse. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Wow. We see we see, we see like a, a generation of people waking up. I mean, when you can convert somebody to Christ in this time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And music so is powerful, I'm, I'm, man. That's so great. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, we're going to talk about it. I'm so excited, Josh. Uh, you are the Saddleback Church Worship Development Pastor. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so we have 18 campuses and, you know, 14 of those are in Southern California um, and then four of them are international. Um, And I have the privilege of partnering with our global worship pastor 
uh, who's John Cassetto, and he's entrusted me to uh, resource our worship leaders and and partner with them to make sure you know they're resourced, that they're poured into, that they have um, someone they can talk to. I mean, ministry is hard. Um, it's yeah. it's so difficult, and especially in recent years, it's hard to lead. And so I have the privilege of just joining them and coming alongside them and, and just being a resource to them. Okay. So if Saddleback church is the, it is the largest church in California. It's the largest mega church, I think, uh, possibly in the United States. I don't know which one. Is there another one that's, that you know of that may be larger? I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't really think about it, but it is, it's a big church. Yeah. <laughs> it is a big church. It was founded by Rick Warren yeah. years ago, but it's just incredible. And, uh, you know, my wife worked there and, and loved it. And, but I want to talk about how you say there's a struggle right now with pastoring music. Mm. What, why is that? I, I don't know if it's specifically music. I, I think it just seems like it's hard to lead these days um, with a country so divided and um, and sometimes when a church when the global church is divided it seems like it's hard to lead um, but I also don't think it's the first time in history where it's been hard to lead <laughs> you know it's that oftentimes yeah. throughout our history it's been hard to, to lead and it's hard to it's hard to be a pastor, but what a wonderful calling to 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 have yeah. to be a pastor and to to lead people into great awareness of who Jesus is um, and help them in their spiritual journey. So it's both hard and it's both a joy. It's so interesting how you can hold both of those in intention. But I don't know if that answers right. your it's question. It's definitely yeah. not the. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's definitely not the time of uh, Tinsdale. You're not being burned at the stake for yeah. declaring one doctrine over another, and yet we do still argue doctrine. Mm -hmm. But isn't it incredible to be at a worship event, maybe that's not at a particular church, but that's in an arena? Mm. Because I remember the very first worship concert my wife Tina took me to yeah. was in Salt Lake City at the Maverick Center. Yeah. And it started with skillet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. I come from a, a very corporate church where we sing very beautiful hymns that sound like, um, I love them. They're beautiful. I've been arranging them, but it sounds like somebody has passed away mm. and it's very reverent and sacred. And so when you go out and you hear skillet, which is, I mean, what are they? Heavy metal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and They're... then Andy Minio comes out with rap music. Yeah. But then Jamie Grace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful because it's beautiful because music can be so broad and diverse. Um and you can be moved by it all. It's so it's so I mean, we all have our preferences. Um but that's the beauty of music is like it, it touches your heart. It touches your your soul and your mind and Sometimes it's contingent upon your upbringing, what, what music you prefer most, but that's the beauty of, I think, Christian music, worship music, and all, all types of music is that God created music. So it, 
when it moves us, it's because creator God has designed it to. And I think in worship music, it's where we direct that music. We we're directing that music towards the creator and giving him recognition. That's why it's so powerful. Which is a, a big responsibility for those who are believers in Christ. Yes. A massive responsibility. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes the the goal of the worship leader is to navigate that appropriately and rem- remember that. I mean, it's so hard, right? Because worship leaders were on a big stage. We have lights pointed at us. It's being projected really loud, um, mm-hmm. and it's so easy to get caught up in what we're doing and the gift God is giving given us and so i think as worship leaders it's just the way we navigate it is how do we point the attention back to jesus every chance we get and it's not to it's not to um denounce our abilities or our gift but but it's to remember who we're pointing people towards for sure i'm sure it does get you know the line gets crossed because adulation is poison mm. And sometimes we prop up our music leaders as icons and eventually they become idols in a way. Yeah. And so what you're saying, I think is, is, I think that is really the fine line. Yeah. And, and, you know, scripture, when, when it says, if, if, if I am lifted up, um, I will draw all people to myself. And so I think as worship leaders, as musicians, we're, our goal is just to, lift high the name of Jesus. He'll do the rest. You know, yeah. Pastor Rick talks a lot about, um, building the bridge and let Jesus walking over the bridge into the hearts of people. And so I think as ministers, as worship leaders, we're bridge builders and we're trying to create that bridge so that Jesus can access their heart and, and, and do the, do the work. I mean, if you think about it, we're setting the table, um, we're not doing the heavy lifting. Thank God for that. Cause I'm just, right. I'm just not capable, <laughs> you know, and I'm just going to try to love people and build that bridge for Jesus to walk over. I, I, you know, it's interesting. Cause I think the first worship leader in the history was King David Yeah, when he was a boy playing that, uh, harp, uh, a dulcimer yeah. or whatever for, for King Saul and Saul, you know, didn't feel the spirit. I wonder why. And uh, <laughs> he needed music mm. to feel because he had become past feeling and numb to the sins. And he had, you know, you can, well, anyone who doesn't know the story, please go read it yeah. <laughs> in the Old Testament. But uh, there is always music to help soothe and heal regardless. And, and that's precisely what I think the platform of Saddleback Churches is basically say that Jesus is a lot like that music. Hmm. that you can feel not that he's there to judge you, but that he's there to love and heal you. Yeah. And, and everyone can come to him and receive him as the leader of their life. And I think, I don't know about you, Paul, but music has sometimes moved me in seasons where I didn't think I had the opportunity to feel anything or seasons where it was just really hard and difficult. And music sometimes just breaks that barrier. Um, and it's, it is only by the Holy spirit that it can infiltrate our hearts. 
because of the gift of music. And sometimes it just eases us to receive God's word and, and, you know, whatever God wants to say to us that day. But that's what, that's the thing right there. Because there are people I know that are not believers and yet music speaks so many different messages. Mm. And when we listen to certain types of music, it truly affects how we treat other people. Mm. Yeah. And it can unite all kinds of people and it brings people, it can bring people together. It's so, it's so powerful that way. I agree. It's definitely the Pied Piper to get people into the churches in order for the pastors to teach uh, who Jesus is according to their mindset. And, um, but I, for me personally, like you, I, I began listening to Christian music 17 years ago and what was being written was like modern day revelation. Yeah. The doctrine that flew out of the poets. Yeah. You know, you have poets and prophets and poets tend to get in trouble because they speak <laughs> things ahead of the prophets mm. and then the prophets, you know, pastors, et cetera, they come in and go, Oh yeah. Okay. That's yes, that's correct. Mm, mm. You know, it's always interesting the, and I guess it's the prelude yeah. to, to the, to the meat. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting how when you write songs and they maybe don't make sense for the current time. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, uh, living it and realizing that, you know, Holy spirit was stirring something in you. And it's so interesting because music takes so long to be released. I mean, it's a, it's months of production yeah. and months of planning and, and writing. And it's almost like, wow, that was written way before it was supposed to be released. And then it took all this time to, to eventually get released. And God was maybe trying to say something for a, a next season, which is incredible and f interesting to watch. It really, oh my gosh, it really, really is. I want to know, like when you were younger and you know, you started doing music, what were your influences? Oh man. I mean, I grew up in, I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up in the church, and You're a PK. I'm a PK through and through. Uh, grew up in a in a in an Assembly of God church in Central California. Okay, really, really lovely uh, area to grow up in. Great people, and my biggest influences were, you know, uh, Delirious, uh, Crystal Lewis. Um, wow, you know. I mean, I listened to Christian radio, Newsboys, uh, Audio Adrenaline, uh, <laughs> uh, Michael W. Smith, um, all these great, you know, artists, and and just loving to to hear that message of hope. And I fell in love with uh, what the church can do on a global scale, not just in mm. in one church, but a global a global church and to see, you know, that message of hope being, being a gift to a lot of people was really neat to watch. I love that. I, you know, I started listening to Michael W. Smith. He was, I think everybody tends to go, it's either Amy Grant or Michael W. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know, uh, there is a big film coming out about 
the worship music movement that I can't remember the name of it, but I hope everybody gets a chance to see it. But I started listening to him and he was part of my influence in why I started yeah. to play the piano because he could talk about God and things I believed in without getting in trouble. Mm. You wow. know what I mean? Like it wow. was on the radio. Yep. And pastors tend to get, uh, worship pastors tend to get a bad, <laughs> they get made fun of in Hollywood. You know, they appear in TV shows as kind of like, here's my, my, here's my guitar. I'm going to solve all the problems mm. right now. Mm. <laughs> You've probably seen some of that. And, uh, but I don't think that phases you at all. Well, I think my, you know, Michael W. Smith is like just such a profound legacy and I think I agree. I agree with you in the sense that like, uh, people's character speaks for itself. Like yeah. if you have a, a track record of character and you love the Lord, um, a lot of people are going to find Jesus because of you, because your, your track record and your character. And he's a big influence on me too. I agree with that. Of just very articulate, very deep well of faith. And a lot yeah. of people found Jesus because of his ministry. So, yeah. And there's this discussion that we've had in the Gospel Music Association that it's really difficult for worship pastors, for people in the Christian industry, to have integrity with what they're teaching. Because what people don't realize is that just because you are a pastor or you're in the church, that does not automatically make you righteous mm. or, you know, and I think a lot of us have the biggest um, baggage and uh, the most temptation because we're targets because we're trying to make the world better. Do you feel any of that? Yeah. Do you see that? I mean, it's so interesting. I, I love that you brought that up because I think f for me, I've been in, I've been at Saddleback seven years and I've noticed that I, just like every other leader, has has to find that constant rhythm of 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 digging a deep well and filling it up with with Jesus and Holy Spirit every day. Because just like everyone else, we were sinners um, saved by a grace we never deserved. And um, I, I've been I've been reading I've been reading. Um, a book, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, um, uh, the cost of discipleship. And mm -hmm. he talks a lot about how, um, only Jesus, uh, is the one who knows our, our, the end of our journey. And, but we know that, um, it will be a road of boundless mercy. And we know that, um, discipleship means joy. And so it's kind of this holding it in tension that it, it's a hard journey. Um, to be a disciple of, of, yeah. of Jesus. Um, it's a hard journey to be a leader in the church. It's a, it's a hard journey to be a, a leader um, in any facet of the church. But the promise of, of boundless mercy, the promise of, of joy is kind of this incentive to keep going, I think. Like, I think as a, as a believer, um, it's a daily grind. It's a daily, like, yeah. Jesus, I... I fully depend on you today, not for tomorrow, not for the next day, just today. I, I literally can't yeah. do more than today. And I think that's what, you know, people in my life that have mentored me, people that I really look up to, they've, they've carried that same posture of a daily surrender, a daily, um, 
reminder of his grace, um, of his mercy for the day. But it, 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 I want to overcomplicate it, but that's really what it is. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, you know, you said something that really provoked a, a thought in me is that, you know, he knows the ending and uh, another gentleman Neil Maxwell said the future you is before him now Wow! and he knows what he needs to do in order to get you to where you were destined to be and I think of that and I go if he did not have that faith in us he would have not got on that cross yeah yeah and that's we have to look back in order to go completely forward and know everything's gonna be okay of course of course and isn't it just so insane that he invites us like to to join him it's really um, unbelievable like i look at my own life and i and i think about all of my shortcomings i'm just like why would i be invited to this like um why would i be invited to to share in that gospel in in the gospel and it's just incredible love that he has for us it's just unbelievable I love that. I think the danger is when we assume Mm. we have a place at the table because then the motivation and the drive and the, that's where we get into trouble Mm. and uh, churches that have this presumption that, Oh yeah, there's a place for us at the table. I think you need to be cautious about those types of, of places of worship because where's the humility? Yeah. Humility is huge. And the more you're in ministry, the more you forget, I think, of this this wonderful invitation you have as Christ followers, um, and even me growing up in the church, um, you get so accustomed to church that you forget the beauty of of being invited um, by Jesus to yeah. to this road of discipleship and and growing in Christ. Let's talk about your your childhood because Barnabas Piper is a pastor at my church. He is the son of John Piper. He wrote the book, A Preacher's Kid. Mm. I don't know if you've read that book. I haven't read read it. I need to read it. I haven't read it yet. I think, uh, yeah, John Piper has a really good endorsement at the beginning, basically saying, I know the struggle Mm. now. Yeah. I didn't know the struggle then of what, you know, always using my child as an example in front of everybody without permission. And then... Everybody assuming that that child, just because they're the pastor's kid or the bishop's kid, (laughs) is going to be good and have all the right answers. Did you go through any of that battle or struggle of trying to have your own identity separated completely from your father? You know, I had the luxury of having a wonderful dad. Um, My dad left this earth a a few years ago uh, with a battle of cancer. Um, But growing up, I... I actually fell in love with church because of him, his dedication to the church, his dedication to to our family as well. And, you know, there were moments where, uh, you know, luckily he's teaching path. He was senior pastor, teaching pastor, and I was a worship leader. So we, we naturally had different skill sets and it was really beautiful actually to work alongside him for a few years. We, we got to be, you know, senior pastor worship leader got to collaborate for a handful of years, which was really beautiful. Um, but we naturally had a different lane, which I think helped distinguish mm-hmm. us. And 
But I mean, as a small kid, I remember, you know, getting in trouble running around in the in the lobby when I shouldn't have been, and I and it felt like I had a shorter leash <laughs> because yeah. I was I was this I was the pastor's kid, and so I got in trouble a little bit easier, and that that always boned me out. But the cool thing is, my dad never got got on me too hard, and he was really had a lot of grace yeah. towards me, and um, I mean. When you're a pastor's kid, you live at the church. I mean, you know, if if mom was working and dad was going to the church, I was going to church with dad during the week. And I fell in love with being in the church. I fell in love with, you know, that's how I got into music. I would see the drum set and, and the piano, and I would just go up there and play the instruments. And um, and that's how I fell in love with music is being just having complete access to the church throughout the week. I love that. You could just go in and, and do your thing. And you know, when I was eight years old, that was the age when uh, kids in my church community and culture were baptized. Mm. I had to go to my father to get interviewed. (laughs) And I said, can we do this in the house? Uh, No, we went to the church and we sat in the office, you know, and you know, I, can I have some of the candy in the jar? I mean, (laughs) you know, you know, and then he drilled me with love Mm. and affection and then he ended up baptizing me, uh, into that community and it was beautiful. And, uh, but so I, I, I get it. I understand it. Yeah. And, but, but you know, you learn so much from having a father like that, who is so committed to God mm-hmm. and he, he, the way they're able to instill within each of us, um, a desire yeah. they plant the seed. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about it, like I've been in the, the local church my whole life, my whole life. That's all I remember. And what else I mean, only by the the grace of God and the the love of a great dad would I still want to give my life to it. I think the early formative years taught me to have a deep love for the local church and the global church. And it was represented by a dad who gave his life to it. And, and I count myself very fortunate to have that. I know not everyone has that. And um, I'm really... I find myself grateful for that. That's beautiful. Well, let's talk about Saddleback worship. Uh, you know, I've been there. I've seen the, the team lead worship. And that is the one thing that I love about Saddleback is you don't really know who the most, I guess there's nobody in the spotlight. It's, yeah. it's a team effort. It it's is. A, it's, there's unity. Mm. Um, it's about God. It's, you guys are kind of like out of the way of the music, even though you're leading. Mm. So, how did you get to that? Was it always like that? You know, ever that since Saddleback? ever since I got to Saddleback, um, you know, we we were we're still mourning the loss of of Rick Machow, who was just leg- legendary worship pastor at Saddleback, mm-hmm. and we stand on the shoulders of his ministry. Um, mm-hmm. When I got to Saddleback, you know, seven years ago, John Cassetto was already the worship pastor, and I walked into a really um, healthy community. And, you know, one of the, one of the passages of scripture that our team leans on is first uh, Corinthians 14, which is let love be your highest goal. And from the very beginning, when I walked into that team, it was, there was a standard already set of our, 
our goal is people. It's people over process. It's um, relationship over protocols. And, you know, we don't always get it right. We're not a perfect team. But it's right. always been about team. It's always been about the health of our team holistically, um, not just at Lake Forest, our broadcast campus, but across all of our campuses. How is our team um, loving each other um, um, and loving the Lord? And so from the beginning, Paul, it, it's, it really hasn't been about any one of us worship leaders individually. It's always been about the whole. And um, it takes a lot of work. Um, in, in a church where, you know, production is, is there's high, a lot of production and it's beautiful yeah. and I love it. Yeah. Um, I, th- yeah. I think it really helps the experience of, of worship as people draw closer to Jesus. I love, I love what we do, but it's so easy when, when you do it every weekend to make it about the production or about the music. And I really do feel like right. that's what I love about our team. And I know a lot of churches um around the globe do a great job of this too but i love that our team focuses on the health of the team and our love for one another i love that because you're ministering to one another and and, you know it is true that when you surround yourself with people who you feel are uh, better than you not in the terms of the world status but are you feel are strong who can set an example who can encourage you you're obviously going to do a lot better in life when you surround yourself with the type of people you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you literally just said it. That's how I grew as a musician was playing with musicians better than me. Um, I grew in my faith by being around people who had a deep, you know, well of faith. And so you, you are, you become who you surround yourself with. And, And so as a team, we wanted to create that culture, that dynamic of people who, Man, if you joined our team, we know, we hope that you're going to grow in Christ because of it. We want to be known for, to be a team like that. Beautiful. You guys have a number of albums and singles. Uh, people can go to saddlebackworship.com to see those, but you've got a new one coming out called I'm Coming Alive. Yes. What's what's this about? Oh my gosh. So, I mean, it kind of it kind of speaks to the whole album. Um uh, you know, during COVID, we we found ourselves our job shifted. I mean, we were no longer coming into office at Saddleback, and yeah. we were we were recording videos and and showing them on weekends for our, our church families to to worship together as families in their house because of the virus. And our team, you know, our worship pastor really challenged us to to take advantage of the season of of hopping on zoom calls and and writing and finding the voice of the lord during a hard season and i never even knew you could write over zoom <laughs> so we we learned a lot about interfaces and and microphones that's why the internet's so slow in nashville <laughs> yeah it's just writers <laughs> i mean it's just uh oh i never even knew it was possible but um we just leaned into it uh, that season and, and tried to to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And throughout the year, we wrote a, a lot of songs. And, and the three themes that kept coming up was um, light in the midst of darkness. Mm. Uh, we really felt like COVID was 
and it still is a dark, a really dark season, uh, but that the light of Christ shines in it and through it. Um, and dawn does come. It's not, yeah. it's not just nighttime the whole time. It, dawn is promised to us. Mercy is promised to us. And which is so hard to, which is so hard to, when you're in the dark, which is so hard to be patient and accept. Absolutely. So you have to remind yourselves, you have to remind yourself the promises of God. Uh, yeah. The second theme was home in Christ. We felt like mm. we were at home, isolated, uh, but home is where Jesus is. Home is not mm. um, in a building or any specific location. Um, home is where Christ is. And we missed corporate worship Beautiful. in that season. We missed corporate worship and there's a need for the church and there's a need for corporate worship. That's crucial. But when we were locked down, we still had the promise of Jesus with us too. Um, and then the third theme was life in Christ and, and that God is alive, that he's alive and well, and he has mm -hmm. not finished with his church. He's not finished with his, right. with the bride of Christ and this single, the second single I'm coming alive kind of falls into that third theme of not only is God alive and well and doing remarkable things and paving um, a way where there seemed to be no way, but he's making us alive in him. We're alive in Christ. And I'm coming alive is just this, this song of desperation of our world is so chaotic. There's so much noise, but in the noise, um, there's the voice of Jesus and there's the, there's the power of Jesus that fully makes us alive in him. And if you'll permit me for those that are listening, that are not completely familiar with uh, biblical Christianity, when we think of coming alive and we talk of resurrection, uh, there is a literal resurrection that uh, Jesus attained to. And then there's uh, the periods in our lives where he can raise us out of the predicament that we've uh, put ourselves in from making choices that have consequences. And sometimes it's the consequences of a, that we feel from other people's actions. Mm -hmm. We feel hurt. We feel betrayed. And, you know, as we seek forgiveness, um, we have to forgive others in order to fully embrace uh, the, the uh, possibility of resurrection. And so yeah. I think this song clearly echoes what so many people are feeling right now. Yeah. The world is dark and yet it's like this irony right now because it's never been a better time to live and yet it's also never been more confusing mm. but, but don't you think that's because of all the voices trying to get your attention trying to fill your mind with what to think and feel yeah and i th i think you know what in this album we've we've been saying a lot that every one of us has something in our in our lives that needs to be resurrected Every one of us, uh, whether that's a marriage or a, a strained relationship or financial burden, or there's all, there's something that needs to be resurrected. And I do believe that it in this, in the climate that we find ourselves in, I, I always think about, you know, Jesus never promised things would be perfect. And he, he also never promised that it would be easy, but he did, right. but he did promise his presence. He did promise that. And I think, I think I have to remind myself of that every day is like, wow, 
what are we living in right now? Just, right. just the turmoil and the darkness. And I have to remind myself, he's promised his presence. He's promised his presence. And he's, and he's also asked me to, to be a light in this world. How can I love my neighbor? How can I do my part to be a representation of his light and his life? And what does it feel like to you when you are in his presence? Because not everybody may understand because Jesus was, you know, in the past, but he's alive. Where is he? So how, how do you, I guess what I'm trying to say is everybody recognize at some point in their life, they cannot manage their brain. Sure. They need help. They need divine help. They need something bigger than themselves. People turn to Buddha. People turn to Taoism. People turn to Islam. And with Christianity, you have a God who bleeds, a God who weeps. So when you talk about feeling the presence of Jesus, how would other people of other faiths resonate or recognize what that is? And then, and, and can they have access to that? Yeah. And I think that's, I, I love that you brought that up because that's actually something that, you know, I, I think about the seasons where I, I didn't feel his presence. And I think one of the things we can, we can get in trouble with, um, is that if we don't feel it, we question, you know, and Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I've, I've realized is that, is that when, in the moments where I don't feel his, his presence, I think of the scripture in Matthew where, where he says, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. Um, mm-hmm. When Jesus, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, mm-hmm. he, he says from his mouth, I am with you. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes in the seasons where we don't, feel it. I believe you can feel the presence of the Lord. I really do. I believe in that. Um, cause I felt the presence of the Lord, but in the seasons where I don't and in the seasons where I do scripture, it, it, it's a promise to us. And I think, I think that's one of the things that I've been reminding myself and want to encourage everyone to is the promises of, of Jesus, the promises of God have no end date. And they are not altered by our emotions or the climate that we find ourselves in. The word of God, scripture is truth a hundred percent of the time. Our emotions are, are always up and down, especially as artists and worship leaders. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so yeah. emotional, such a, emo- it's such an emotional roller coaster. Um, and so in the seasons where we don't sense his presence, we have the promises of God and we have the promises of, of Matthew um, where Jesus says that and we can take him so at I his word. So I guess it's kind of like, you know, you're in the middle of winter and you're miserable. It's freezing unless you're, you know, unless you love and you're snowboarding, you love it, but you, you are anxious about, you know, being warm mm-hmm. and you know that you can get in your car and warm it up. Yep. My mother talks about how, when you are walking around without God, it's like you don't, you're kind of, you've got your clothing and everything, but then when you are with God, he puts this beautiful warm blanket around you Yeah, and you feel like everything's flowing. Mm-hmm. Everything is comfortable. Everything is smooth, but, but there's this overwhelming sensation of, 
love and purity and innocence, even though you know that you've sinned, you feel forgiven and clean. Yeah. Um, is, is that? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the promise of forgiveness is, is something that I cling to. And I think believers do. Um, I, I would be yeah. remiss. I, I mean, I would be, I've, I've, I feel like being a worship leader, being a musician, I love, I love the way m- music makes me feel. I love the way the presence of the Lord makes me feel. But if I lived my life solely based on emotions, I would be so unhappy. Um, and sometimes, right. sometimes it does feel like a warm blanket and I've loved those seasons. I love those moments. Um, and then sometimes it feels cold, <laughs> but I know, I know that he's there because God's word says he's there. And I think, I think maybe that can feel like a warm blanket. Maybe if we don't feel it, maybe, maybe knowing what God's word says is the comfort, um, as well. I see what you're saying. In other words, just because you don't feel it, that doesn't mean you quit. Exactly. Or just because, like, you, you know, um, I guess we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Mm. Is that when you are not feeling it, you still need to be analytical in your mind, common sense, down to earth, and say, say it will return. Mm. I just need to take inventory of my life yep. and root out things that are de- that are de- that are keeping me from him wrapping his. He's like right there, yeah, tr- tr- recklessly trying to get your attention. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you get these like blinders on your eyes. And Paul talks about how the scales are removed when you start to understand and see. And I don't know about you, Paul, but. That my greatest uh, seasons of growth have never come from seasons where I feel everything and it feels warm and That's fuzzy right. and I feel awesome. That's right. My, That's right. my greatest seasons of growth have always come from seasons of drought and pain. And I think, I think about that scripture. I consider it joy when I go through um, hardship because, it, yeah. you know, it produces perseverance. And... And you never, you're never in a season when it's hard. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm in this hard season. This is wonderful. <laughs> you, ne- that? You, you, ne- <laughs> you never think that, but at the end, you're like, wow, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that season. Well, it's the quote from Eugene Peterson where he basically says, I prayed for wisdom and you gave me problems to solve. Wow. I asked for strength and you gave me pain and anguish and struggles to grow from. I mean, you cannot get where you need to be in order to be a, a light in this world, particularly to your children, to instill in them love and unconditional love for everybody without going through these hard things. People ask, why am I going through such miserable things? And, that's that's the irony is can you stay focused amidst the chaos when some of that happened paul in the when we were writing the album um in the uh there was at one point in the in the pandemic where we wrote a song um called again and again and we sent it to a teammate um a worship leader on our team and 
he put his vocal down on the song. And then mm-hmm. weeks later, he contracted the virus and oh, wow. he, he was given 10% chance of survival. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting in our studio space and we were picking songs to be on the album. And that song started to play. And here here we are, this, this teammate of ours is fighting for his life, 10% chance to live. And he's singing these words over us in the mm-hmm. studio. And the words are, Heal my weary soul, speak to these dry bones, fill this heart, heart with hope, do what only you can do. And the chorus is, come now and breathe on me, awaken wow. me, awaken wow. me, Jesus. And we're just like on the floor, just losing our minds, just, and, you know, healing came for him on this side of heaven. He's now in rehab and he's awake and he's healing and and in that season that hard season we we discovered um Jesus in a new way because of because of that healing and that kind of speaks to the album and you know we're not always promised healing on this side of heaven and right you know my dad passed away um and mm-hmm. we've lost a teammate and teammates to covid and Healing doesn't always come in the way that we think it's going to. That doesn't change who God is, fortunately. In, yeah. in this case, there was, there was healing in, in, on this side of heaven, and we celebrated, and we, we discovered new layers of God's goodness because of, because of that. And it just speaks to, like, God can do really wonderful, beautiful things in, in really hard yeah. seasons. It is amazing. You know, I just, I'm constantly in awe of what he's done in my life and what he's done in my wife's life, my kids and people around me. And, um, you feel spoiled, like a spoiled kid. And sometimes you feel like a spoiled rotten kid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've been there. When does the album come out? The album comes out September 3rd. Okay. Um, and we're just... We're just absolutely thrilled, Paul. I think more so just, you know, we've been singing these some of these songs in our church the past several months. And to see yeah. our community latch on to these songs and believe it for them, themselves and their families. You know, songs like Alive and Well, which is the song that we, we, um, that we titled the album after. That God is at work in our church. God's not done with Saddleback. God's not done with his global church and Mm -hmm. he cares for us individually. He cares for our families. He cares for, um, for us as a whole and to see our church just latch onto these songs has been really remarkable and and beautiful. And I assume people can pre-save that on Spotify. Yes. And Apple iTunes and Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So wherever you love to get your music, everybody, unless you are still doing eight tracks, uh, you know, go over to saddlebackworship.com and you can see everything they've got right there and you can listen to some of the music Absolutely. that Josh is involved in. Well, Josh, it's always an honor to speak with you and anybody from Saddleback Church, a, a church that we love and appreciate. And 
you know, my, my assistant Jennifer worked at Saddleback, mm-hmm. and, and so we just have a lot of friends and family there. So thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. It's an honor to be on here with you. Because you took my scars, bruises, and bro.